You have reached Bros, Bibles, and Beer, episode 26, Missions Missing the Mark. In this episode, we have our friend John Chapman from Every Generation Ministries joining us to talk a little bit about how the church does missions wrong and also how the church can correct those mistakes. Before that, we talk about the gun problem in America and we damn near solve the gun control crisis. Also, is the Second Amendment becoming an idol? How Game of Thrones made me appreciate spoilers. Jeff drinks far too much McDonald's coffee. And we read some iTunes reviews. Be sure to check out the show notes as I will have any books or ministries mentioned listed there for you to peruse at your convenience. Remember to review us on iTunes and it will get read on the show. Also, follow us on Twitter at Bros Bibles Beer. Facebook page is facebook.com slash brosbiblesbeer. And the website is bbbpod.com. We love your feedback. We've been getting some good stuff. And we want that to continue. So if you hear something you want to comment on, give it to us. Let us hear it. All right. I love you. I watched a great biblical movie last night. Right? Left behind. Matrix. I don't know. Probably more. It's always more. It just sounds stupid. Should we talk about gun control? I think we should have tighter gun control. Boom. I don't have a Drop problem it. with that. Everybody freak, freaks out. I agree. What, what, what would that look like in your mind, mm. John? Um, we could probably start with no tanks. In Peru... Um, no one can, no one can own a caliber larger than the than the police. And what size do the police have? Uh, big one. Okay. Three fifty-seven, probably. Big one. The so big one. I, <laughs> <laughs> I just know that that's the. I just know that that's it. So. I don't um, have to isolate I, that. So I don't the, know. If all the if the police switch to twenty-two caliber, right? Then nobody can have a gun. No, I I mean I I'm all for people owning guns, but I think um there's just a, there's just a significant limit on it. We don't need to have the second second amendment has been elevated to full on idolatry status. Right. Um in my opinion. Right. And so it it becomes don't don't do anything about guns. Right. And then when I talk like that, and then that technology becomes, comes well, you up just so want to take everybody's I mean, When guns. they wrote the thing, did they even have a more than a single action gun? Does that matter? Yes, technology goes up. It's like, what if they somebody had a law? What about the law? And they had laws all the time that were stupid that we've changed. Do you? But should we only allow? Uh, oh my gosh! Guns where you can. Mom and dad, dad, don't listen to this. He might shoot me. Can you? So we just allow people to have muskets then? Because that's what that's what was there in that day. That's what they approved. Actually, if the hipsters got their way, probably. 
Hipsters. It'd be muskets. It'd be, no, I'm not saying that, but a law should be evaluated. Like he's saying, it's got elevated to everything goes, and you can't even talk about it. The NRA used to be used to be in favor of full background checks and some sort of registration. That was a long time ago, and the only thing I, th- I can think of is it's there's been this switch. It's become just a lobbying arm for the gun industry. Right. So it's not like it's a rational entity yeah. that's... My dad's part of the NRA, too. Well, I'm actually a member. <laughs> Look at you. Look at you. Um, snuck in. So cute. I wish I wish they would stop sending me their magazine because it's a waste of paper. Goes straight in the trash. Sorry, recycle bin, greenies. <laughs> Gosh. Um, we talked about guns. Is that what we're talking about? Um. Yeah, I think something should be done. At, at least background checks. Which they do. Except at gun shows. No, they do. It's illegal to sell a gun to someone. There's a gl- gun show a clause. Back- mm, I don't think so. Yeah, there's a gu- that's one of the things that they're calling for is the gun show clause they want to get rid of. Do you know what the, the gun show clause is? No. It means if my daughter Aubrey goes up and smiles really nicely. Yeah. You could walk out with a gun. They're gonna give her a fifty caliber, uh, caliber, <laughs> good grief, <laughs> caliber firearm, and uh, it's just not right. Do you want my daughter buying guns at gun shows, Scott? Is that what you're saying? <laughs> okay, this loophole Three refers to this concept of check. sales of firearms by private sellers dubbed the, quote, secondary market, the term, therefore, it's any person may sell a firearm to an unlicensed resident of the state where he resides as long as he does not know or have reasonable cause to believe the person is prohibited from receiving or possessing firearms. That's it. You don't you don't have to have so, anything. So that's in the federal... The federal law, the federal That's, gun law that says is that. The, yes, that is called the gun show loophole, or the gun sh- gun law loophole, or the Brady law loophole, or private huh. sale loophole. So it's not that you're buying it at the or from. You're not buying it new. You're buying it used, right? And therefore, as long as the person who's selling it believes that the buyer is not dangerous, it's not a problem. Hmm. Are you cool, bro? And, you're gonna be cool, and that's bro. what the gun show loophole is. So gun shows go around and you can go in and buy it. Hmm. When was that updated? Oh, that's been, that's the whole like that's is the that, whole is argument. Is that currently the law? Oh yeah, that's one of the I bet you that's one of the things they want to break right now. So why don't one of the Democrats um it seems to me that the Democrats have had different times of majorities. Right. Where they don't change anything where they could have correct i i just i don't that just doesn't sound right now the gun show loophole yeah i know it's right and i know that the other one is is that you don't i can inherit all of my dad's guns without legally doing anything about it right i don't have a big problem with that he's got like two dozen because you were inherited from his grandfather i trust you oh well you would have access to them no matter, I mean, you have access to him. He's your yeah, dad. But he dies and he gives Why it to me, and now I don't have to be licensed to have him. But you have, yeah, you, you have. You could access just transfer the license. It wouldn't be that hard. I could take it down and say, hey. Yeah. So if they, so that 
we just I mean and then it comes to oh it's the second amendment so you can't touch it that's the argument or you can't tweak the background checks since San Bernardino though my uh, someone else I know went and bought a gun a new one his second and it was like he had to take a number and wait an hour and a half to pick up his gun because people are afraid they're going to change the laws right. and make him make right. it stricter. Right. right. Yeah. My dad. I'm not opposed. I'm My not dad opposed doesn't to have 24 checks. guns. Just to make that clear, nobody go to his house and check. Yeah. I'm not opposed to background checks. That was going to be my question: Is do you, do does Scott think you you tweak the laws or you impose stricter re- uh, regulations that that's like a slippery slope? Well, we have regulations in place. Right. Uh, so just, some people are just saying they're not strict enough. How do we? What's the What's the next step? How do we make them? Stricter? The gun show loophole is one of them. And I just there's okay, gun the shows gu- the guy, everywhere. The guy that that did this in Orlando did not buy his gun at a gun show. Right, but wasn't he investigated by like the FBI or something? Yeah, but he had a license. Yeah. But he, why he was wasn't he flagged in his... In because his, he was not convicted of anything. So you are innocent until proven guilty. Right. Which I don't necessarily agree with. What? So I think it should be... Okay. <laughs> so, so you're right, Scott. You just responded to yourself. People should nice. all be born in prison, right? And then you grow up, and maybe by the time you're 12, you can apply for your freedom... Before right, well, are you talking about California? Because we've built like we have more prisons in California than <laughs> anywhere in the world, or something. I'm talking ridiculous. about, I'm talking about the new world order, one world government. We should everybody is born in a prison. It could be, there could be bathtub deliveries if okay. if that's your want. Yeah, all natural, all natural, all natural. But you but gotta work prison. and then apply uh, to, to get out of prison. To get out of prison and apply to even get your citizenship. Yeah. So apply for one freedom at a time. That way we make sure everybody's in prison. So for sure the bad people are in prison. Yes. <laughs> I saw a thing on Facebook. I look at Facebook. Did I just say that out loud in public? <laughs> I you know, look at Facebook. It's terrible. I saw this thing where it said, let's make cars illegal because it's not our right. I've seen that. To it, drive. it compared what you like to do to cars car. kill more people than 1064 guns. people die every year every day or something no not every day anyway some big number um, out. never mind I'm but go yeah a lot more than guns but there is a lot of crazy shootings here i mean you've got to admit that the u.s has some crazy shootings the coverage is up i think the numbers actually support overall gun violence going down um but certainly the coverage makes it tough to emotionally. And it, it, that shouldn't sway but us. There's from a lot of coverage s- that's not happening, too. Like every like Well, we don't They're care. like last weekend in Chicago, 46 people died. No, that's no, just normal. Like, no. Yeah, that's, that's, that's a regular normal. ghetto. That's every weekend. With regular minorities, Chicago. we don't care about them. Oh, yeah. That's, that, that's fun- it's functionally how it plays out. It's not in suburbia. It's a problem. Speaking of suburbia. Well, and I think one of the arguments, too, would be that th- the people perpetrating those crimes probably or most likely did not buy their guns legally. Correct. So no matter the law, they would have the guns. Right. Yeah. Argu- and, and, arguably. And now, I mean, if you make laws now, there are so many guns out there. Is that Jeff? Right. So many guns that 
There's a lot of guns out there. There's more guns than people. Yes. Oh, I'm sure. Um, Right. So the the guns going away is not happening. Right. Not in our lifetime. But we need to preserve. Like we we should have like burning guns. We need to preserve the rights for our children's children's children, so that they can protect themselves from a tyrannical government. Right. Because it's all about the tyrannical government. It is. That's why I mean, they haven't passed you the law. Seen, oh man! Well, that's I why they passed the it. amendment. The Bruce Willis Trump, the Bruce Willis movie where they the government takes over New York because of the terrorist attacks. Oh, what was that? I just remember. Anyway, it was a good tyrannical government concept. Die Hard. No. Maybe it wasn't Bruce Willis. Die, die Hard. Vengeance. No, it was all. It wasn't a Die it's Hard. A good stinkers. day to Die Hard. <laughs> That's a good one. It's an actual title, I think. <laughs> I know. Hmm. We totally just solved the gun issue. We did. Interesting. Are we taking guns away or are we leaving them on the streets? We're doing like a book burning, like when the when the Nazis burned all the books. We're going to do a, a, to a gun a gun burning. And every in the streets. child in starting in 2017, every every child is born in prison. Right. And they with with uh, water births available. Every child born in prison, and they have to grow up and apply to gain certain freedoms. And so eventually they'll be able to win their way out. Yeah, Guns is system. way down the road. That way, if everybody's in prison, we're all safe. All right. So, so we don't we don't let the bad people out. This is Scott's world. I see. Actually, it was my proposal. Really? I'm How dare you, I'm dead Jeff? Serious. What is that? Well, you guys have been talking too much. Man, you're rubbing off on Zach. Wow. Well, the <sighs> the containment early on in life makes sense to your thinking. Really? Yes. The siege in 1998. Uh, okay, wait. Denzel Washington. Uh, it was Bruce Willis. He. Um, oh, Bruce. Well, Bruce Willis was not like the lead. Yes, Denzel Washington. Oh. Annette Bening. Uh, yes. Yes. Um, and then I don't know anybody uh, else. Spoiler alert: uh, They tried to they tried to get this guy who was Muslim, I believe. They tried to convert him back. It was prophetic. And prophetic. He had a bomb strapped to him, and Annette, and Annette Benning is like, "You don't have to do this." Yeah, it was her That's like she translator. Was cute back then. She was. She I, had I would agree. On. Yeah. So can I say something about spoilers? He blows Did you not want up. to talk more about the siege? I'm I really just like he, movies. He blows himself up. Spoiler. Do you like movies, Jeff? I live for movies. The late, siege. You should look it night. up and watch it. I've seen it. I know it's like amazing. It's and like I, a classic. I love Annette Bening. People freak out about spoilers. Spoiler alert. Scott just did a spoiler alert for 1998 movie. <laughs> right. So because he's on defense, because people freak out, you right. could get killed. Right. You could. So. My Boy, example is Game of Thrones. I was listening to... Okay, this is a nerd alert. I was listening I can to, tell you everything. I've read all the books. Don't tell me. I haven't listened or watched or read. Fantasy Baseball Podcast, and they spilled the beans on something regarding someone whose last name rhymes with Schmo. If you watch the show, you'll get it. And it was a total spoiler about... La, 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 la. An episode that happened... The night before, Game of Thrones. this was a few episodes yeah. ago now, by the time this comes out, it's something that parallels Jesus Christ. All you I'm have to do is read the books. Else. I know. And you know everything that's so going to happen. It's all started, a spoiler alert. I have just started Game of Thrones. I'm, oh, and you already know that person's going to die or whatever. Oh, yeah, poor you. I know the spoiler, but you're introduced to him at the beginning. I'm five episodes in, 
and it's like a Tarantino movie now because you know right. the end right. and you still want to see. You're like, oh, well, that's awesome. You have I to go see back how to this goes on. This particular author wrote these books in a way that he wanted to destroy the ever, happily ever after, and the entire book series, like Heather, my Heather is my wife, um, was like. I would get depressed reading the book because someone would die and you would just be like, he's the hero, you know, at the end yeah. of the first season. Have you heard about that or no? Yeah. Don't spoil it. That's the spoiler alert. But yeah, it's like, sorry, real it's life, like bitch. It's like the star of the entire thing Not just Heather. died. Was, yeah. right. Not Did Heather. you just, just call what? No, just generic, generic B. But the books were better. I, I, I typically <laughs> like movies better, but the book was better. It talked more about the food. Oh, the books ate. are always better. I don't know if that's true, but I really like movies, but I didn't like what HBO did with the nakedness. Just went over the top for me. Mm, at the beginning. Oh, you're not even there. I stopped watching after season two because it was just yeah. was wrong. Well, so. some people don't struggle with a rampant sex drive and lust. I mean, I actually have my balls removed, so I can watch anything. Are you a eunuch? Sneep, sneep. They did more than Nick. If you know what I mean. Okay, that's nothing. <laughs> Jeff, you joined us. You're awfully quiet. Do you have a busy day? Welcome, Jeff Pearson. I, I'm sitting here listening, and I'm thinking, I just left both of my girls, my niece, who are all under nine, and my three-year-old. And we sound just like that? My wife's not home, but I'm like, I need to get to the podcast. And then I get here. Instant regret. <laughs> <laughs> no comment. <laughs> Oh, so it's just I walked into this conversation of guns and yeah, it's the siege, something the siege. I'm like, have we gotten nowhere? Well, we've really wanted to wait for you because yeah. we love you. No, that's that's false. You're uh -huh. lying through your teeth. Scott would never allow that. Right, love, Scott? Love? I was trying to get this done before you got here. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Or at least all the biblical references because I don't have any. Or you don't. Want any? I don't know. Oh, oh your yes. choice. Oh, yes. Oh. You two can leave the room. We're going to battle it out. All right. Can I do feedback? This one's titled, Makes Me Want to Be There. Exclamation point. Now, I'm just that, is say, that the username? This is who's the username? Point? Who's it from? I'm about to tell you. Good God. Throats are going to be slit early tonight. This is from Todd Rod two four seven three six five. Reasonably sure that's uh, Jeff and my and John's pastor, who was on the podcast a few episodes ago. Check it out. Todd Rod. Todd Rodarmo. Yeah. Maybe. Though I suspect it's heavier on beer than Bibles. Ouch. I'll, Cheers. I'll, I'll drink to that. Cheers. Wait, here we go. Yeah. These guys are having a good time and talking about faith and life in an honest way. Coffee. That will make you wish you had gotten invited to the party. Nice to hear from him. We got a review called Being Real from Cash and Carry. Hmm, interesting. Uh, love the honesty and sincerity of the discussions. Love the authentic conversations you have in true, real-to-life form. It's great to hear people not acting like posers. Loving it. Keep it coming. All right. How about one more? All right. Zach Hansen, 89. This one came in today, actually. And I was interacting with him on Twitter. And for the record, Scott has access to Twitter, but he hardly ever does it. So if, if you're on Twitter, it's probably Zach. 
No, I'm going to get on Twitter, so now you won't know. Jeff, do you know what Twitter is? If the tweets come out and they're very wrath and judgment focused, it's That's from mean. Scott. And if they talk about fourth grader, fifth grader, sixth and graders, excuse me. Why would I do that? I don't know. Why Je- would I do Jeff that? Jeff doesn't have access. Jeff doesn't yeah. have access. For that very reason. Yeah. So, Zach Hansen. Uh, My union won't let me anywhere near Twitter. <laughs> he says, these guys and Lisa can't forget her. So, this is in reference to our l- last episode which was called Orlando don't say judgment. He says these guys and Lisa can't forget her are able to have a difference of opinion and still in the end remain friends. You feel like you're in a pub with your buddies talking life and theology. Can it get much better? I'm going to answer that question. Probably not. And speaking of Zach Hansen, there was a little Twitter interaction from Zach Hansen at Zach Hansen 89. First of all, the dude, Spells his name correctly. Zach? Z-A-C-K. Like a man. And he was referencing episode 23 about Orlando. Great ep, guys. Hebrews 1 shows that Jesus is the full image of God, which the Old Testament writers didn't have the privilege of knowing. And we went back and forth, but it was awesome feedback. Just good to engage in general. Um, But it was in regards to Scott and I going round and round about Old Testament God and the possibility of God not requiring sacrifice and all that stuff. So listen to that episode, but I appreciate the feedback, Zach. Yeah, thanks, Zach. Jeff, big sip of that brown coffee cup. McCafe, man. I have been drinking McDonald's coffee the last two weeks like it's water. At least twice, maybe three times a day. Is it cleansing your colon? I don't know if it's cleansing my colon, but... It tastes good, and it makes me very peppy and ex- and excitable, like right now. Except yeah, for there's tonight. like veins throbbing in your head as you speak wow. those words voraciously. Yeah, I'm I'm super pumped and very excited. I'm gonna have a drink of my McDonald's coffee right now. He's lifting it, moves the mic, takes a sip. Oh, gosh. That's so good. That's actually his O-face. <laughs> <laughs> he read Hebrews 1 because oh, so Zach Hansen... During, during Z- the yeah the last episode, Zach, our Zach, with his H, no. Zach. Zach? What's the matter with you? Zach? I just got done saying how the, he spells his name correctly. I, I thought you were complaining about your mom I don't again. think his real name is Zach. <laughs> I don't think his real name is Zach. Well, his Twitter handle is Zach Hansen. He created that because he loves Bros, Bibles, and Beer so much that he wanted to be just like you, Zach. And your hair looks like his the na- Hansen brothers. His, I, his name's actually Billy Bob Hansen. I will say, I I, ha- I do have broad shoulders, and mm. my face cuts light well, so I don't blame him. And you do have a crush on, I found out, two different rock stars or f- movie stars. Regardless, anyway, so Scott, go on. Yes, it, it, Hebrews one. Matthew very quickly in in reference, Christian Bale, Christian Bale, and a couple others. <laughs> <laughs> he can't say no to those two, but he's got more to add. Okay, go. In the previous episode, Zach had referenced. Well, let me just say, it, yes. I wasn't communicating well, but it was. I'm having these thought experiments. So in Hebrews later on, it quotes a psalm. Where it references God not requiring sacrifice. So oh. I'm playing that out to 
if it were possible that that actually meant what it sounds like it means, and right. we don't purely nerf it, hi- hypothetical, and we don't nerf it, how would that change? I probably didn't propose it in a hypothetical way, which probably is you what freaks Scott out. Which I understand. Scott is the great Bible defender, and I'm not. <laughs> I'm not. Sa- believe it or not, I'm not saying that condescendingly. For balance, <laughs> we pay him to be that. He doesn't actually care about the Bible. <laughs> wow. Oh wait, he'll be responding to that in just a moment. <laughs> no, but it, it's more kind of things I'm struggling with and dealing with, and and little little doubts and reworking my faith, which is another long story. But we went back and forth. Hebrews chapter one. I just read the whole thing. I don't say anything about that. No, that's later on. Oh. But okay. he's Scott is referencing Jesus being the exact representation of the Father. Yeah. So if it if if it's if we tr- believe it's true that he's a representation of the Father, he's the same yesterday, today, and forever, and he never required sacrifice. What implications does that have for interpreting the Old Testament and interpreting Jesus dying on the cross? As a sacrifice? No, I'm not saying he wasn't a sacrifice. I'm saying whether God required it or not. Mm. It changes the view of the atonement. It changes a lot of things. And I'm not discounting how challenging it is, especially to a former pretty fundamentalist guy like myself. So how does that change it in light? And also it changes the conversation we were having regarding people, the idea that in the gay nightclub that got shot up, that they were reaping what they sowed, that God did that to them. So that that would that I totally disagree with. Well, we all disagreed with taking that stance, but that possibility of God interacting with people like that just kind of gets nerfed if it's in fact true that from the beginning God didn't require sacrifice. It was the people that required it for their own consciences and to please Him. I I still don't get the correlation there of God not requiring sacrifice and uh, and then therefore God not. Like God not having wrath is that is that where that goes? Yeah, I'm not. Com- I'm to- so confused about God not requiring sacrifice. So yeah, if he doesn't require everywhere sacrifice, in re- human being, and everywhere I see relationship, it requires sacrifice. So I mean, like, whether it be like, between you and your spouse, it's like in our DNA on who we are okay. as humans. That's to require sacrifice. So that, I, I understand that you're. That's very different from what I'm talking about. I. I'm talking about requiring sacrifice to be seen as... Like sacrificing a lamb. Yes. Yeah, but I think... To, to, to satisfy God's wrath, which would take, which would definitely affect how God well, but, is wrathful or not. But, you, but that, I think what you're saying is that God does not, is not wrathful. He's not uh, storing up wrath for the sinners. Is that, I, is that what you're saying? I, I don't think he was storing up wrath to sinners. I don't think it actually did anything, no. I don't think the sacrifice was like magic. Like, all of a sudden, we're now forgiven because we sacrificed a lamb. I think it was Old Testament, we're, obedi- we're being obedient. And I can I kind of agree with the concept that God didn't need sacrifice. God doesn't need crap from us. God doesn't need us. So the fact that people were sacrificing, I think it was an obedience action that God required in a sense that... He knows human beings. He knows how who we are. And if we sacrifice to something, like we give our first, the best, fattest cow that we could feed our whole family for, but no, we're going to give that to God, there's a certain level of relationship building in that. And it's the same way that we do it to our spouses or we do it to our kids. We sacrifice for them 
and it automatically builds a relationship there because we love them. And I, I feel like that was the purpose of it. I don't think that God needed you, somebody to go kill a dove. I don't think it did anything. It wasn't magic. Am I totally off base for what you guys are talking about? Well, that'd be really no, mean if they killed a dove. I well, the doves were the that. basic sacrifice. If they couldn't afford it. Well, where do you couldn't. think Prince got the inspiration for when doves cry? Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Wow. Wow, that if, was deep. If they couldn't afford a calf. Am I off on what would, we're talking about? Because that's, that's similar. So Scott, let's. <laughs> I, I don't want to do do similar. this all over again. Not although really I think we're doing good. it better than we did it last time. Yeah, I think you were leaving out the part though where God doesn't have wrath. Therefore, that therefore God doesn't have wrath. There's no judgment or punishment. Or, yeah. Therefore, he, this cannot be God's punishment because God doesn't have punishment. So no. So I would. Uh, I know you disagree with I me. I could change yeah, subjects, I, but no. Yeah, and, to, and that's okay. Just to kind of shorten it up, uh, I think I think where John went is is good. At first, the first the first thing you said was good. I don't know about the rest. <laughs> ouch, ouch. Uh, that it it immediately brings into question the sacrifice of Jesus and uh, the necessity of that. I look at the sacrifice of Jesus as a necessity. God didn't. The the Father didn't send the Son to be a sacrifice for us so that our conscience could be cleared. Our conscience being cleared is a result of what Jesus did. That That's the only way we can be reconciled to God is through through Jesus. If, if sacrifice is not required, then does that mean, or specifically if the sacrifice of the Old Testament was not required, does that mean that all sacrifice is not required, including Jesus. Therefore, we don't need Jesus' sacrifice to be reconciled with God. That our our sin uh, does not need to be atoned for. Whatever atonement means, that it doesn't need to be atoned for. That God just I don't know. Sa- what Jesus' do sacrifice is just uh, not needed. What do you think? I think I already said I I think the Jesus sacrifice was is necessary. All right, cool. <laughs> Moving on. So we have John Chapman here. Hello, John Chapman of Every Generation Ministries, formerly in Peru, for eight years. Yes, eight and a half. Thank and you. We spent some time several episodes ago. You guys can go back and listen to that, where John chalked chalked about his chuff. <laughs> <laughs> guys, what? Can I see your chuff? <laughs> we talked about that earlier. Strokes, too, right? Strokes are real. John talked about his stuff, taming my tongue, his mission work. And so for more of that, go back to that episode. Boom, you had a conversation with, with uh, somebody at your... Today I had a great conversation. Um, I went to a youth pastor in... Um, here in Orange County, who had been on a trip with me in, t- in Peru in 2013. It was really encouraging for me because he had really good things to say about me, which I was, it was, I was blessed. <laughs> it was encouraging, but he started to talk about how his trip with us kind of reshaped the way he did missions. And um, on the previous last couple trips, he's been trying to do it more the quote, John Chapman way. Um, and has had lots of battles with the people he was with. So one particular older school missionary person that he was with who had been in the field for a long time was like pushing him to hand out money to 
locals when they like gave him food or did something for him and um just like white people have the money and that's the history of missions and that um but he was really focusing on his youth ministry focusing on the three things that are short-term ministry at EGM is starting to focus on. And that is that the success for a trip is learning for the team that's going. <gasps> I'm supposed to know these three things. The last one is um, that you're a part of a, some, a, an ongoing work that already exists. You're not just there doing something and leaving. Um, and the second one is... So it's not a vacation? It's not a vacation. Learning. Just make something up. I can't judge you on it. Oh, crud. Reaching. It's that trestles. No, it has to do with um, engulfing. No, it's just missions over the centuries. I mean, it's like a $2.2 billion industry this year alone in the United States. And 10 years ago, it was only $2 million. If you had to put a number on it or a percentage on the efficiency, 100%. Oh, no, no. So they're all sending people over to save the world. And we have this narcissistic, I don't know if this is really a good theme to talk about. Um, no, it's actually a really good thing to talk about. I think, well, people don't talk about it. Yeah. So, it, oh, I know what it is. The first one is learning. The second one is encouraging believers. And the third one is being a part of something that's ongoing. Um, so this guy told, was telling me how the trip that he, he had been on lots of mission trips before, but the one that he went on with us every single night, his team asked him, did we even do anything today? Did we produce anything today? Were we even helpful today? And um, by the end of the trip, they realized that they were more helpful than they had ever been on any trip in their life because they were encouraging the people who were there to do the work and they weren't coming in and doing the work and then leaving. And that is what we want to do as Westerners is go in, do the work and leave and pat ourselves on the back. Do you think that's the, t is that the typical mode of missions? There's a big movement out of that, but yeah, that's the typical it's mode been of, the typical. of missions. We we go in, we have the money, we know what we're doing, we've done it really well, we want to complete a task and we want to leave. There's a story a couple years ago that I heard through another person that a um, fairly wealthy guy in the area got a phone call from a poor village in a country that couldn't afford to put in a well, and they called and they said which is really weird. How do you get the phone number of like the person? And they said, Hey, you, um, your well broke. And the guy's like, what do you mean my well broke? And he's like, well, you paid to build this well in our town and it broke. So come and fix it. Oh, nice. And it's this concept that it's not their well. They didn't own it. They, they didn't own ownership. It. They were, it was given to them. They used it. It broke. Call the guy who built it because it's his well. It's not mine. Right. And I mean, I've been in cities in Peru where I've seen abandoned wells that have like a nice plaque about the, this particular denominational church in this particular city in the United States donated this well. It's totally sitting there completely unused. Praise Jesus. I'm not saying wells are a bad thing to build, but what I'm saying is, is that we have this notion that we can solve the world and we're going on short-term trips to solve problems and we want to just do something and then and we want to do something and come away. back and feel good about it and we talk about our of great it. experience it's like a drug pat ourselves did, on it, our back. did anyone tell them that it's their well now yeah of course hmm. but it's it's it has to do generally with the concept of poverty and that is there and there's hundreds of books written on this give me the top 52 
yeah, I'm not going to do that. But Poverty Inc. is one of them, is a, is a documentary out there currently on Facebook that you could watch um, that was a Christian organization, but also created this kind of non, and it's the concept of like Tom Shoes. Uh-oh, I just said one specifically. Good. So Tom Shoes destroys economies. So if you go into a village and you hand out 3,000 pairs of brand new shoes, then what happened to the guy who sells shoes? Slash repairs them. Or the guy who repairs shoes. They no longer need them. So they're like out of work. And so it's not a solution to the problem. And now I've seen it happen personally. People begin to become dependent on that and then become dependent get to the point that they believe I've seen it happen in number of levels, including high level of educated people saying things like, well, it's just the white people's money. What do you care? And it's, it's just this concept that the Western world has money and, or it happens in Lima on a small scale where the, the rich people go out to the, at Christmas time to the poor areas and throw balls out their window, like bouncy balls or cheap toys or something to all the kids who run up and then they drive away and they pat themselves on the back. It's not like, in essence, a Christian thing or in essence, a Western thing, but it is a money to poverty issue. And now the poor people in Lima expect that. And then it goes even deeper because it's like now the dad of this kid who just got this gift can't afford to buy this gift. So now his image of himself goes lower because I can't even supply a gift for Christmas for my son, but these rich people just throw it out. And then it goes into pit of despair for the for the dad, and he continues to feed into that. Not yeah. to certainly not to disregard people giving money and material things and food to other countries or just right. places where there is poverty and there's famine. I mean, everybody understands that, right? But, well, but yeah, you're yeah. also you're also bringing up seems like the idea that. America, um, the way we work is that money fixes things. Right. And so we go, we set up shop, we leave, and it's like, that's that's an American right. idea. Money fixes things, and we're the good guys, well, so we have the answers. Well, and, and people have said this. You, you have to consider, is it, are you dealing with relief? Meaning, was there a tragedy and they need urgent food? Or are they at the point where they need development? And are we still treating them like relief? And and we the Poverty Inc. in the advertisement even has a pastor talking about that who's in like an African country where he's like, we're, we're treating poverty like it's relief. We're not treating poverty like you need to, to develop us out of poverty. So you keep coming over and dumping food on our table, but what does that do to us? It does nothing to us except for feeds us for a week. And then we need you again. Well, it's like um, the bum that goes on the corner, and p- if people give at that corner, they'll keep coming back to that corner. Right. My uncle or my wife's uncle has just launched a new ministry in San Diego called Real Life Skills. He's been working with the homeless and, and poverty and the poor in San Diego for like maybe five or ten years. And he just realized we're not giving anything thing to help them to pull themselves out of it. And he's d- developed a program and and a concept where they're going into prisons and into 
halfway houses and all these places where people are down on their luck and they have this educational program that encourages them to, you know, it's not a Christian way, but it's a, it's a way to, you know, I'm better than this. And, and to me, that's dealing with a better part of the issue. You're in uh, my favorite book actually is when helping hurts, how to alleviate poverty without hurting the poor or yourself. It's about a 10 year old, maybe 12 year old book. Now it talks about the four, you know, image of self, image, relationship with self, relationship with God, relationship with others, and how those, that is what sin has broken. And you have a relationship with image that is so important. And if somebody else provides presence and food on my table for my family over and over and over again, my image of self becomes that I am less than nothing. So anyway, that's what we need to consider those spiritual and, and conceptual things before we just start handing out more food um, or clothes or whatever we are doing. So, so would you like Tom's better if they sold them in every free pair of shoes? There's a little gospel of John. Nope. It'd be different if they either sold them because there'd be value put on the, the shoe, even if it was a low price. So the people who, um, so I have a story of, um, I had a friend who lived in a poor area and was saving and had give, received a gift of like four dozen two-year-old sweat shorts and she was saving them and she was going to give them out at the church or whatever. And they were given away by her husband um, to the neighbor and the neighbor. And one day she walked out and in the trash can, there was like a dozen of them. And she's like, what, what are you doing? And the lady's like, well, I'm using them as diapers. So as soon as my daughter poops in it, I just throw it away and I put on a new one. I got two dozen of them. It doesn't matter. So like the value of that item just dropped immediately because she did nothing for it. So it's the same way I could imagine it's the same way with Tom's shoes or other things that are given the same way with the well. When you're given something and it's become habitual that you just keep getting stuff, you start to, your value for it is just not, um, is not high. But it makes me feel so good. Right. I get, I get a rush every time I buy some overpriced Tom shoes, and you want to take that from me? Right. And and that's part of part of the the challenge. Is it that it makes you feel good, or is it actually um, beneficial to the people receiving it? So the, I uh, so more coming a couple alongside. days ago, I heard a story of a church um, that. When their missions pastor came, their new missions pastor came on staff. They they saw that there was this trip to Mexico every month, and they didn't know what it was. And the church had this tradition of packing up clothes and shoes and all this old stuff, all their old stuff, like getting donations and driving to Mexico and going out on the street corner and handing it out, and like just in the city. And this was like part of their mission work, and they felt good about it. And the missions pastor canceled it immediately and said, "We're never doing that again." And the uproar in the church because it's the tradition and we're sharing love and all this. But the point is, is there's no ongoing ministry down there. There's no ongoing relationships down there. It's just feel good about yourself, right? To give it away. Does that make sense? Yeah. It's just, and and this missions pastor was like, no, we need to be a part of an orphanage or we need to be a part of a women's home or we need to be a part of something or a church. Actually join in. And I, yeah, to what they're already doing, right? Because we're gonna run in, throw it all out there, and leave. And what are we actually doing? 
except for making more people dependent on America. stuff. America. But I mean, five, probably five out of every 12 boys in a youth group that go on these short term mission trip end up with some a girl's phone number right that they went right with, so right right i well i did so that. i don't want you to leave that i, mean, I did that important. i got married to her so well they or they grow up and they <laughs> as long as you marry them that's okay okay as long as you marry them four kids later they, and maybe yeah. another more than one i mean if polygamy is your thing culturally oh, then gosh. So I, I am not a polygamist Anyway, I was encouraged by the meeting today because the guy was like, we want to go. We want our kids to learn. They showed me a great video of their last trip where the kids were all giving these testimonies and about relationship and connecting and learning and encouraging the work that was already there. Um, and not, hey, we built a church. And hey, we distributed 1,000 of these toothbrushes and all these like like things that you can quantify and and deem as success but the success was based in um they literally walked into the church and said how can we help you in the church pastor said home visits that's it and they went and visited homes and sat with christians who lived in that community and prayed with them and encouraged them and did a lot of what paul does in the bible right mm -hmm. paul's letters were not to the non-Christians, Paul letters were to the Christians, encouraging them, helping them, praying for them, connecting with them relationally. And that, and that's really where we're headed with our, I think, where we're headed with our missions program at AGM. And we have a great ministry and we have great staff locally. We're not going to a new country that we don't work in where there's nobody there, but we have, we connect with the local church that's already working with children and we come alongside their work that they're already doing and not saying, okay, you need to let us build your church or let us do construction. I heard of a, a seminary in um, Santiago, Chile. I was walking by and he was he said, oh yeah, that room right there, that whole floor of this building is no longer used. And I said, why? And he said, well, it was all wallpapered and a short-term team came down and said they wanted to do something, insisted on doing something. So he said, well, we get, I guess you can paint that. And they're, oh yeah, we can paint. And they went in and just totally screwed up the entire floor. The paint's all over the floor and the paint's wallpapers peeling off. And it just, they, they didn't know what they were doing, but it was like, oh, we can slap paint on a wall, but it was insisting on doing something so that they could feel successful for Jesus, for Jesus. Do you feel like the trajectory of missions in general is moving towards the co cooperative co coming alongside the culture that you're going into as opposed to hey guys we're white eat our god boom it's it's sad because the missions that i'm talking about is not glamorous it's not flashy and doesn't bring in the high numbers of people who want to go on trips so i don't have a lot of experience with large mega churches but the one particular that I'm thinking about, the the pastor had wanted nothing to do with it. Just like this concept that it's anything really about the people we're ministering to. How it's all about my people. Yeah, how do you, you so the pastor? How do you what? Go ahead, Scott. How do you, how how do you, do you report, report back? About <laughs> how do you report back? Yeah. What do you report? Hey, they're still over there. Well, I mean, you can talk about the, minist the ongoing ministry. One of my favorite... The most encouraging clips I've ever seen was a 
we took a team down of um, three families. They had kids from four to 13, and there were one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, eight kids from four to 13 years old, and there are three, and three parents. So it was three different families. One of the dads got up on stage and just started screaming, it's working, it's working, I saw it, it's working. And, and as I was listening, because I was watching the video later, he's just like ecstatic about seeing how how we were not only was our ministry of egm transferring to the local leadership and they were grasping the vision on an organizational level but also the local church was grasping the vision of what egm has to um minister in a way that jesus does as opposed to the schooling model um and seeing these children's lives them actually understand that a relationship with Jesus is possible and he can help them and be in a relationship as opposed to just knowledge in their head. Um, so that, it was just a testimony of him not speaking Spanish, but seeing it in the life of children and, and through translators and understanding that the, the ministry is working. And it, was a, it wasn't concrete. It wasn't like 17 children have now transformed their life in this particular church. No, it was um, vision was grasped and I could see evidence of it, of, of spiritual formation and change in the lives of these children. So it's not concrete. And we are a concrete world that we, society here. We want numbers. We want numbers. You built a school. That's fantastic. Right. I How many donate, children are graduating each I year from donate, that school? Yeah. Right. I'll donate to build another right. school. Yeah. I mean, I can raise $25,000 to build a school in Uganda like tomorrow. How easily. Many, how many kids did you get to repeat a couple lines? Yeah, right. Right. Um, there's a quote from a really famous person, and I wish I knew it right now. Well, but if you had to make it up, what would it be like? I wish I knew the person's name. Um, it was something about we are we are creating highly educated atheists or something, or highly educated, knowledge Bible-knowledgeable atheists in all the schools around Africa that we've built. Because they're going to school, they're getting smart, but... They don't have a relationship with Jesus. It's all about the information that they've received in their head. And it's it's sad. So he's really famous. I don't remember who it is. I should know the person, though, shouldn't I? Charles Darwin. Yeah, that's it. Charles Darwin. Thank I think you. it was Jeff Pearson. No, it wasn't. But just a comment on the missions. I We go and we am, I'd say we are just America in general sending missions overseas that we impose our way and this isn't a this isn't a, a negative we just don't know we just don't know the impact that we leave when we leave we go we give right. and it's a good thing i mean right. it's good to be generous right. but yeah we we're leaving and and we're we i maybe we leave um awake right you know that has negative ramifications but we don't really know. We don't know what we're doing. It's just we're going over it and we're we're doing good. But coming back to, I don't equate this to a bum like these places in other countries that are poverty stricken. And this when we go over and we give and they just keep on, you know, hey, please, just keep on giving and we'll just right. keep on not doing anything. Right. If you keep giving and, but you brought up the relation the relational aspect of just going to home visits. Right. And so I think of the bum on the corner in our neighborhoods. Right. And I think 
that person, just because I'm an educator and I know that some of these kids and maybe even some of their parents are are on a corner begging somewhere right. and it's and so they'll kind of move forward and they'll be begging as well because they're not educated right but ultimately they i wonder if they're only begging for money because they don't even have a relationship with people they just want people to notice them just mm. notice me and have a conversation with me right. and then they figure out you know what this is america people just care about money that's why they're not stopping to talk to me because they're busy making money so i'll just ask for money but when Maybe. you get yeah when you get someone who will stop right. and talk with you if you're a bum on a corner and someone i think the the impact of that if you're willing to continue forward and build a relationship is a lot is a lot more i mean people in uh you know peru if if you say give me 50 bucks or or give them 50 bucks or build a relationship and just be my friend right. uh, the ramifications of that you leave you've built a friendship there right as a and and that's a good that's a good mission Right. Right. But the challenge with that, there's so many challenges with that. (laughs) Yeah. The the history of missions is so difficult because it's, it's now so strong that, Hey, those are the white people. They have money. So for a white person to come in and try to build an authentic relationship, um, and not even that, even somebody from a different, um, economic class trying to grow a relationship, is also extremely difficult, but I I totally see your point. Yeah, but I've yeah. we have uh, I think we're getting more out of it. Right, they are for sure because the stories I hear right. of people coming back, their stories are they were they had nothing and they were so happy. Right, we they don't learn something from us. Right, <laughs> right. We are we're like okay, this is what gratitude. This is what happiness. This is you know. And then they find out that family members are dying and, you know, they're going through just terrible things. There's a smile on their face and they're jumping up and down. They're happy. There's this great video that um, a church put out that was on the theme of this book, When Helping Hurts. And it um, it's a it's amazing. It's amazing. It shows it's like a, a mission and it's a whole satire on the Vikings and they're and it's totally cheesy, but they're all dressed up like Vikings people, and they're the ones talking on the video and say we're coming to you know share, and they walk into modern day United States, so they're like men just sit around, they don't even know how to hunt, they just sit around all day and bang on these things and look at these screens and they grab the computers and take them outside and throw them on the ground. And then they walk up to this girl at a table and she's like eating a hamburger. And they're like, look at what they're eating. And they throw it on the ground and they throw this big pile of like seal fat on the table. And everybody's like, they're show, trying to show them how to eat. You see what I'm, you're following this or no? So they're, they're, I've lost my appetite, but I'm following. But so then they're like, look, they're so happy we're here. And oh, look, this gift that we gave them, which was like a knife they gave to like a three-year-old girl who's now crying, right? Because you just handed her a big sword. Tears of joy. Tears of joy. They're like, oh, look, she's so happy. She has tears of joy. And like all the like little statements we say, just like you just said, oh, look how much joy I brought them. And all these little things where it's just like the most backwards 
you know, we're teaching them basic things like how to, you know, dig a hole. And they've got like, and they're like, we've handed out, you know, 1,000 of our leather garbs to people. Look at us. We're so, you know, like it's amazing because it just really shows this concept of we've handed out a thousand like they don't even want them right or look at how happy they are where that we're here and of course they're crying because you just stepped on their walk through their food for the next year you know or whatever so the point being yes i it, it that video see if we were video we could show that but we can't so anyway yeah. i don't even know the name of it some well, viking you, i can put the viking. link in the show okay notes. i'll give that to you we'll give put it link. in the show yeah, notes. i'll do that um, but just conceptually, that's what we do. We walk in somewhere and it, this goes back to the, you know, I think of the San Juan mission and, you know, let's put the clothes on and move them in to walls of the, the Native Americans in California because this is the way that civilized people live. And we do the same thing, right? We go to foreign countries and say, this is the way that civilized people love Jesus and we need to yeah. use the book of order from the Presbyterian church. Spread some freedom. Right. Yeah, we're too we're too organized. We're too organized. We're too, too strategic. I'm like, you really just go and talk to your neighbor. How about that? Hey, amen. And you know, the truth is, is there but are. I want seven points. I want a seven. The point. truth is, there are so many churches in this world that are struggling to be Christians, that are living in communities of poverty or communities, and they need to be encouraged. And that's what we should be doing on mission trips. We don't need to be evangelizing. Sorry. We don't need to be going door-to-door evangelism. What we need to be doing is helping Christian believers to live out their faith and, and be encouraged. And look, there's Christians around the world who love you and who think that the Christian life is worth it. And how can we be a part of that? And that's what Paul did. That was Paul's letters. He was encouraging believers. Of course, he was doing a little correcting here a and there. A little rebuke, Scott. A little rebuke. Itching. But right? I mean, what's the point? What's the heart behind, behind Paul is a relationship with believers. He never wrote to non-believers, did he, Did he, Scott? I probably not. Probably not. <laughs> Can't say never. Huh? <laughs> but, you know, so like why? Anyway, so I feel That's I good. just have this like heart that we need to not worry about evangelizing the world. We need to worry about encouraging believers to live out their faith and what can we do for them? How can we come alongside them? How can we use our amazing resources we have here to teach them to do children's ministry? And that's what EGM does, right? Yeah. So that's awesome. Help them EGM in what does it abroad. Right. But help them in what they're already doing and what they're asking for help for. That's what the heart of what we do is. These are people who are sitting there holding their Bible open going, I've got 30 kids. The only thing I know is to read this story and ask them knowledge questions about this story, pray with them and send them home. And that's it. And they're like, we want help. And so that's what we do. It seems so rational that we would focus on actually meeting people where they're at in their actual culture and getting to know that first and then coming alongside them. It's, it's, I don't know how it wasn't always done. Out. That it seems way. like it's relatively new that that's starting to take shape, but that's good. Yeah. Well, the spread of the Catholic Church in the unit, in the world was not necessarily done with grace and love. Well, it's from from Constantine 
when when he converted and it was like boom by the end of the sword we will give people god right the slaughter in and peru was then, pretty much the catholic justification yeah can you equate the mission work that's done from america outward to within the united states is there any mission work going on within the united states where people here as citizens actually do mission work yeah there's a I lot mean, well on the poverty theme for sure um the book that i'm referring to was is actually um used a lot in the united states and are we equipping we're like and empowering or are we doing what we do right and that's the problem no it's like the welfare system here in the states no it's like what how do you minister what here you go if our local church decided to do a mission, an in uh, uh, a church, uh, something to help the poor in our community, what would we do? Give them food. We'd give them food, but who are they? First, There's of no all. poor people Homeless. here. Homeless. No. Come on, be more specific. It's racial. Minorities. Minorities. Go to Santa Ana. Then there'd be white people that most would be minority mission trips in, Santa Ana. in in locally. Most local mission trips. People talk about going to Santa Ana and doing something there. So I don't know specific examples. The truth is I do more overseas than I do locally. Right. But um, I do know what I've read about the When Helping Hurts story, and they talk a lot about helping in, um, in the ghettos and how churches go in and just give away things and leave and really push people to consider it as a development and not relief back to those two words that we're not trying to le- relieve poverty. We're trying to develop people out of poverty. There's a lot of movements in organizations like um, one that I know well is um, crochet kids. It's called, I think they're going to change their name to just KK international, but um, Whoa. they started. Yeah. I don't know. It's, it's their logo. Close. They, yeah. they stop short. They um, it's what, um, what, what is it called? It's called Crochet Kids. Crochet and, Kids. And um, they started in Uganda. They've got 80 women in their program, and they teach them to crochet. Do they crochet kites? They do clothes. They do clothes. Yeah. Clothing, yeah. It's all, like, on the internet. Right. It's all hipster. You can they buy it at, like, um, um, it's, fair trade. Not it's all fair trade. Yeah, for sure. So they Wait, have a they big spell mo- crochets with a C. Wait, no, it's it's the point. They so spell it with a K on purpose to so make, they, cars to make for a trick. Trip. They actually got like two or three years ago. They got five hundred thousand dollar grant from Bing at the World Series. So their huh. their commercial was actually they on knit? the World Series. Do they knit as well? So yeah, no, they just crochet. Because then it'd be KK. Um, but yeah, they're really nice clothes that you can buy them at like Whole Foods and like Nordstrom and stuff. They're all, um, and but they started one in Peru. That's why I know them well. They've got about sixty women in the program in Peru. But the point is, is that they have like a three or four year program where they train the women how to crochet and how to knit and they get them a machine and then they teach them like life skills and financial skills and small business skills and they do this all over four years and then after the program they go out and they do that do it on their own and they have their own machine and they know how to manage their money and not sell it for too cheap and all that so it, it's there's lots of things like that out there now that are more focused on how are we developing people in poverty as opposed to um just giving them relief, right? Just yeah. giving them things. Um, and it's hard because the I've seen some really bad 
Um, and I'm not saying it's all bad, but I've been, I've, I've been on the, the other end of some disheartening distribution of Samaritan's purse. Um, which I know that we, which it's such a great thing. You can do it as a family. It, you can teach your kids about sharing and giving and it's so great. Um, but I've just been on the other side where it's not, it's not a positive thing to be just handing out more stuff um, for free yeah. in communities where they're just getting one more thing. And it's now the, the easier pa- way. It's it's easy. It's easy. It's easier than. It's a big. It's a big. It's big. It's a big organization now. Yeah. They need to maintain it, and it's tough. And like, you know, there's the. I I mean, I'm going harsh here, but you know, there's the buying the goat for a family or. Which again is a easy, easy marketable item. It really is in our community, in our it's world tangible. here. It's tangible. And how do you get tangible? And you know, we um, there's a great ministry called the Free Wheelchair Program, Free Free Wheelchair Mission. It's in, it's out of Newport Beach. It's this engineer who created a wheelchair out of a plastic chair and then some small parts. They, um, but they're a great ministry, but they have a tangible item, right? 1500 bucks delivers 150 wheelchairs to people who don't have any. Wouldn't that be the raddest thing? I've delivered one to a guy who laid on his back in a room for five years without seeing the sun because his parents were too old to pick him up and he didn't have any friends anymore. He didn't want, he just pull himself up by his bootstraps. Yeah, Exactly. No, he had a degenerate disease where he couldn't move anymore. So some so some things are good to give away. Right. Well, that yeah. So the free wheelchair thing, it's tangible. It's an it's a it's a great thing. But I think in some ways we've gone too far with the tangible. And it's like missions like mine have to think, what can I tangibly provide so that I can meet the need of the giver who just wants to supply something tangible, right? Yeah. And our mission doesn't yeah. do that. And it's, we can't figure out what it is anyway if we wanted to. So it's the yeah, it might not be necessarily that they they just want to provide something tangible, but why would they give money if you're not gonna give something tangible? Right. Like, right. Like you know, why should they give money to you as opposed to someone right. else who's gonna give right people clothing or food right. or Milk with a goat. Yeah, tangible cells. Right. When Which, ma- but so I, I think that's more of changing, uh, educating people here about these right. things. It's all about educating yes. people and helping people to understand. But then at the same time, you've got, you know, Samaritan's Purse, which is right out there and super tangible. So, and and again, so I, the pastors, I don't know enough about Samaritan's Purse to rip on it completely, but... Maybe reaching the pastors, and then they inform their flock. I yeah, yeah. There's strategies to do that because at the heart of it, it's still, it's still uh, evangelism, right? Which again, back to that, right? People are doing it uh, because they can give, they can just tie. Is the word evangelism in the Bible? Uh, I believe so. Okay. I don't know though. Yeah, it's Greek. It, it comes from uh, evangelicio. Okay. No, but I think we we I've heard plenty I've heard plenty of talk around the idea that what is the great commission and is it to evangelize? Well, it's to make disciples. Right. So it's not yeah. to evangelize. 
Well, evangelism, make disciples. Yeah. <laughs> really? I don't know. <laughs> oh, oh, confidence oh. is gone. Do, do you think those two are the same two things? No. Okay. <laughs> He's like, shoot, I'm not going to say yes. I'm looking at Tim John. Okay. <laughs> so we've, uh, our, again, back to the concrete item. It's bringing people to Christ. Now, if you're going right. to, if you have the time to. It's uh, fire insurance. No, well, not necessarily. So if, if you're going to go somewhere. Yeah. Uh, then you should stay there because that's what Paul did. He stayed there for months and months. You and build years relationships. Some, some, right? build, yeah, right. he built so if you, relationships So if you're not going to stay there, does that mean you shouldn't preach the gospel? Well, what's the gospel? I just, I, this, this is a perfect, this actually really ties in with the mission work. So right. you can ev- evangelize or you can bring people to Christ. So they've come to Christ, it's like you've empowered them. Just so that's that would be my definition of evangelism would be bringing people to Christ. Yeah, but then but what? Disciple, now discipleship is would be that ongoing relationship where you're there to to grow them up Gosh. in the faith. Okay, sorry, <laughs> that's what I meant. I, I apologize, um, but okay. Th- th- I think that's our current understanding or common understanding. Too. Right to evangelize is is to. Long, huh? To talk, the talk, not in a, you know, that's good. But when someone gets to uh, the point where they've come to Christ and you and you've you have a disciple, um, then you've you've made a, a such a greater impact. I mean, it's it works itself outward um, as opposed to you evangelize and it's like uh, people coming to you know, my neighborhood or whatever. And then they, they're preaching and, um, and then they, they leave, but they never come back. Right. The impact is nothingness. Yeah. Ideally, ideally there would be churches somewhere close that they could point them to make disciples. But if you're, if you're just passing through, does that mean you don't share the gospel? No, you do. So then what would you call that? Right, but I, I think uh, what I, I think what Bibling. I'm I think what I'm trying to say is that the movement of evangelism in the United States is like so overkill. Like, what are we doing? Like, we want everybody to conf- to say the name Jesus in English. That that would be a wrong heart. If that's your goal, then no, your goal is to bring people to Christ. So it's it's there again would be about education. Well, I, I'll I'll particularly say of one ministry that I'm not going to say the actual name because it's a little too close to home. But there was one ministry that was evangelizing for 20 years, and then they realized, shit, we don't have any disciples. We should probably start planting churches because they were counting the number of people that raised their hand. Confirmed kills. Confirmed yeah. kills. And then so that, I, I see your hand the, over there. That's the wrong way to I look. That's the wrong way to look at it. <laughs> right. Yeah. I so totally it's, agree. It's that's still the wrong way to look at it. Comes down to education. Look, yeah. I agree oh, with you for sure. Yeah. But functionally, it's. But our way. movement in the United States, if I can come back from a short-term trip and say, you know, 370. You know, we did a large group event and 375 people accepted Christ for the first time. Well, holy cow! That's just it. Yeah. And that's it. That's the number we want. 
And that's what we want to hear. Yeah, I see your hand over there. Right. Yeah, 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 yeah. Thank you, thank you. Thank I, you. I've so I have a really good story. My boss, who's retiring this next week, she's taught and been an administrator and been my boss for the last six years. Oh, praise was, Jesus! She said that she her faith was renewed that she never had, but she was speaking to our our assistant principal at a get together yesterday, and he's he was a pastor's kid. He's just. Uh, is a good family man. He is really involved in his church. I mean, he's a strong believer. I mean, the guy prayed over me like uh, two weeks after I had been, he had come to my school, you know, f- five years ago or four years ago. And um, through the relationship uh, at first, I think it was really rough with him and, and her. Um, and somewhere in there, it finally just the way he was not like Jesus, 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 but just his work ethic, right? His just at his core, um, it just flowed outward and that spirit just flowed outward and uh, somewhere in there, I, I would love to have been a fly on the wall of some of their conversations. All of a sudden she's sitting there, you know, in getting ready to enter retirement and she's just full of life and like how precious it is. And uh, you've renewed um, a faith I never had. Right. I mean, uh, she used the word renew, but I mean, those were her words. But ultimately she said uh, the faith I never had. And I was like, holy wow. mackerel. Wow. This is amazing. Right. And she lives a different lifestyle. Right. And I was like, holy mackerel. This is amazing. Right. And and so there's where it's not it's not overt it's just the subtleties of the holy spirit well i would point it back to the relationship absolutely and it's that he demonstrated his life to her for the last five years it's like what do you have that i don't right and it's this relationship and it's not the four spiritual laws and it's not a track that i can that says you're gonna burn in hell it's about living... Oh, you can use the Bible for that. Right. It's it's about <laughs> living a life. Finally, life. It's about living a life that's different and in a relationship with someone without... Even if they're choosing to live a different lifestyle, it's not condemning them. Not at all. But it's, it's loving them. And um, that is what, you know, that's what mission should be all about. And that's why I go back to... We should be encouraging these Christians who are just having a hard time, just like you and I are, but maybe just won't need encouragement because they're living the life there. And they're, they can do the ministry much better than you can. They know the language. They grew up there. They ha- know the reality of their neighbor, just like this. Yeah, you, you raise example. disciples, and then and those become the leaders of that, that body. Right. Or at least all the biblical references, because I don't have any. Or you don't want any. I don't know. Oh, your yes. choice. Oh, yes. Oh. You two can leave the room. We're going to battle it out.